Hello, and welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. Today, we have some exciting stuff to talk about if you are a nerd like we are. Otherwise, it's probably pretty boring, so you should probably turn it off right away. Uh, we're going to talk today about what happened in the market in the week ending uh, the 16th of February, 2024. More specifically, after that, we're going to get into Japan, the UK, Germany in recession, the thing that was being foretold and um, ominously being um, foresoothed. Uh, I'm trying to come up with good foresoothed and foretold and all these forehead. Well, no, not oh. a forehead. I've got a forehead. You've got a forehead. Together, we have foreheads. <laughs> well, it was the ca- it was the casting. It was the forecasting. Uh, yes. So the forecasting said we would be in recession too, and we're not. So after we talk about the market, we are going to talk about what's going on everywhere else in the world, what's going on here, and how it's inter- interrelated. Uh, so we'll be back on the other side of these awesome bagpipe music with more of the Personal Wealth Coach. Once more, unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Uh, Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is going to be us talking about the market very soon, but we've got to give you disclosures in very quick and monotone voices. No, we're just going to give them the right way. Uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is not even, not just the name of this podcast. It is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they like us or dislike us. They're just regulatory folks. Uh, giving advice, can't do it on a podcast. Even when we have a question directly from somebody, we can't give it on the podcast because there's privacy issues and we got to know everybody that we're talking to and all that good stuff. So what are we doing? We're giving education. Um, Hopefully, we're going to educate you and you will have at least a tiny amount of extra stuff in your toolbox to use in making decisions in the future. Uh, When we're talking about global economy stuff, usually there's not a whole lot you can do with that. But sometimes there is. So you want to give us the your favorite disclosure, Elder Baldy? The information we present on this educational podcast has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, as is usual, warranty and guarantee that all unsaid information on this podcast is incomplete. Uh, please close Cover before striking. Uh, that includes uni- yeah, union members. There are going to be a lot of people out there who don't recognize that warning. They totally understand it has something to do with unions. Really? Some oh, kind striking. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so th- it should be all good. All right. So what happened this week in the market? Not much. Not much. All right. And on to the okay. next. <laughs> this week in the weather, we had precipitation in some places and not in others. The end. Yes. Now, on well, to the next the S- news. We use the S&P 500, otherwise affectionately known as the SPX, as the prime market indicator because even though it is very fallible and sometimes shows the market doing something that the rest of the market's not doing, it's the best we got. So uh, for the week ending February 16th, 2024, it did fall a bit. It actually fell 0.42%, ending the week at 5,005.57. It's up about 5% this year and about 22.72% for this time last year. Um, the other index we follow, the CRSP US Mid Cap Value Index, is a convenient index for a whole series of reasons for us. But one of them is that it consistently 
gives an approximation of what the S&P 500 is doing without the magnificent seven high-tech AI-related stocks, who are now about a third of the valuation of the entire index, and they they move and the index follows. So it's seven stocks is leading, are leading around 493, plus or minus a couple, every week, and ignoring what the 493 want. Um, it rose 0.87 to 2512.93. It's down less than 1% for the year. It's still down about 7% below where it was at its high in the beginning of 2022. And so, for that matter, is the rest of the market except for the Magnificent Seven. It's really important if you're investing in equities at this point to recognize what's going on. Historically, when we have seen, I like this word, bifurcations like this in the market where you have a small number of high, very large cap, very large companies that have relatively high price earnings ratios that are soaring into the skies. When you see that, it is often an indication that at some point down the road, those seven or 50 or whatever number of stocks that are doing this are not going to continue to soar into the skies. They're going to plunge into the depths. And over the long haul, and I want to emphasize this, over the long haul, staying with the main market certainly is less exciting, certainly is less gratifying in the short term, but also tends to do better in the long term. And that's the, that's that's a little piece of the market right there. You had your yeah, I w- like wanted it. to give a definition of the word bifurcation for you. It's a French-Canadian term where you leave work for a while to go purchase skins of animals. It's a bifurcation. See, you see what I did with that? Yeah, uh, yeah I got that. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's not the way you meant it. I just wanted I'm to make sure, sure that everybody knew what I, we were talking about. Close cover I'm before sure striking. I'm sure the Canadian embassy will be lodging a protest about that, but that's yes. all right. We won't be able to read it because it'll be in French, so it's okay. Well, it'll be, it's in English and French. They have to do it in both languages. But only if they excuse their French. Sorry, oh. we're, we're getting into weird technical this is, stuff. This is getting too far away. Okay. Yeah, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Markets, the stock markets, particularly the seven companies that are driving the S&P 500 and the companies that are driving the, the Dow, the, the high-tech companies and the NASDAQ, are focused on what the Federal Reserve is doing or not doing at any given moment. They are really hoping and praying that the Federal Reserve will lower interest rates. And so we saw some good economic news this week. And because we saw some good economic news, well, I say we saw some news that indicated inflation may not be as dead as some people thought it was. It really is as dead as some people think it is. But there's a couple of numbers in there that made them unhappy. And the issue is that the companies that have borrowed a lot of money to grow and keep on growing are very sensitive to short-term interest rates because they have very short-term loans that keep rolling over. So they're paying interest rates at whatever the short-term rate is. That is an indicator that the company is highly leveraged. Highly leveraged sometimes means grow real fast and sometimes means fall real fast. So that's something to keep your eye on. Um, The 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield, which is the other side of the market we like to look at, continued to inch slowly higher. It ended the week yielding 4.30% up from 3.88% as the year began. We are seeing a consistent pattern. Very short-term interest rates are up above five and a half, around five and a half, five to five and a half percent. And that's reflected in treasury money market funds and short-term T-bill rates and and things of that nature. Out at the long end, it's in the low fours, but rising. In the middle, it's a little lower, but rising. And this is the this is an important factor. If you're considering, as I see, I'm bombarded every day with 
advice to buy bonds. If law, if you're buying bonds, bonds are by definition over 10 years of maturity. And I don't know what they mean by buy bonds. They may mean something different. But if interest rates creep upward for a long period of time, the value of a given bond on the secondary market will fall for that long period of time. Considering that the best estimates I can find anywhere suggest that a year from now, short-term interest rates may be as low as 35 or 4%. If we are going to get a yield curve returned to where it's normally and historically comfortable, and short-term rates are at 35 or 4%, long-term rates will be at 5% or higher, which means they've still got a lot of rising to do. So be very, very cautious about buying those long-term bonds that I see the people and the media beating drums that you should go out there and buy some bonds right now because of some, well, there's a lot of reasons, but none of them are particularly good. Remember that somebody who is in the financial world, who has an interest in financial assets, who's urging you to buy something, in many cases wants you to buy it because they want to sell it to you. Isn't so that amazing? Conflict. There's a conflict of interest there in many cases, so be very careful as you approach this. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil ended the week, and it just trades right on through the weekend. At 79.17 per barrel, it's a rise of about 3% for the week. It is also rising slowly. It is rising slowly for the same reason long-term interest rates are rising slowly. The United States is the largest economy on the planet, and our economy is, is roaring forward growing, burning more oil, borrowing more money to grow, which keeps long-term interest rates rising and the price of oil rising. Those are all indications that the economy is doing quite well. Additionally, uh, we have the informal and undocumented research that we do because our building is right next to Interstate Highway 35 and the roar of trucks going up and down the highway directly correlates to the uh, growth of GDP of the United States, in my opinion, and the roar is loud. End of markets. And that's the news from Salado Creek. All right. So now that we've talked about what happened this week, let's talk about some more data that came out. The United Kingdom, which represents the remains of a massive empire. It's still pretty big. It spreads across a lot of area. Um, they've just announced that they're in a recession, as has the country of Japan. Uh, Germany's been in a recession. It's still in a recession. Uh, Germany just ticked up to the third largest independent country by, by economy because Japan just tilted down. Um, so whatever that means, I don't know that it's that important who's the biggest or who's not, but it's out there. So why in the world, get it, it's in the world, because that's what so why are they in recession why are we not in recession what's the what are the pieces that are holding us into growth and have constrained them to receding uh china is in deflation and if you trust their data they're still growing but it's really hard to trust it when we look at the results of what's happening over there it does not look like a growing economy i mean it looks more like it's in recession than germany does and you know germany looks like it's in a mild recession china's got a crashing real estate market and people think that that well what's the big deal crashing real estate's not, that's it represents a quarter of their economy a quarter of their gdp is real estate that's not real growth 
all the way up till now. So if a quarter of their GDP till now has been real estate and that's contracting at double digits, it's really, really hard for me to imagine them not being in a recession. But I'm probably wrong because the Chinese say they're not. What, what did you want to add there? Well, there's something important economically about this issue of real estate collapse. People sunk a lot of money in real estate. A lot of individuals, a lot of families, and a lot of companies invested a lot of money in commercial and individual real estate in China. Much larger, a much larger percentage than we have seen over most of the world. Now, in the United States, we have a very significant part of our national wealth uh, in real estate, but it's not in speculative real estate. It's primarily just in houses and buildings and that factories. People are actually now, living in, usually. We've, we've got some weaknesses there. We've got some weaknesses in, in office buildings in cities, and the vultures are already swooping in and picking some of those up. But in, in, in China, there's a real problem there. That 25% of GDP that's in real estate, a significant portion of it is in unfinished real estate that's not going to be finished. A significant portion of it is in real estate that is falling in value very, very, very quickly, which means it is it is money that has vanished down a black hole. Uh, if, if you have an unfinished building out there someplace and the largest real estate developer in the country by far, Evergrande, declaring bankruptcy and not and saying we're not paying our debts. What has happened is a great deal of the wealth of the country, the money supply, the wealth and things of that nature have disappeared into this into this concrete and dirt and probably corruption, and it's just gone. It isn't yeah. going to come back and multiply. It isn't going to come back and gain. It's just gone. So who, let, let me kind of step in there and say, who's losing here? Because it's not just you can't pay the money back. If you're buying a condo in China and you're a Chinese citizen, you want to buy a new condo and you went to Evergrande and you gave them money in advance and they began work on the project, not only are you not getting your money back, you also don't get the complete result. You might have some form of ownership of property that now is going to cost you money to get back to the beginning. It has to be demolished before it can continue. So the layers of complexity of the loss here, first you got a bank that gave the loan to the person that's buying the condo. Then they gave money to Evergrande, who also got loans from the bank to pay their people while they're working on the project, got started on the project. It's not capable of being done. The quality's bad. It's unfinished. The bank's not getting paid back from Evergrande. It's also not going to get paid back from the people that own the property. So the layers of loss here on the same property are multi-layered. <laughs> it's not just one thing. So that's a big deal. So let's let's take a step back and say, so why are we different here? What caused all of this stuff to begin with? And we can say, well, was it the pandemic or was it... The war had a big part to do with it. When Russia invaded Ukraine, um, Europe got put on difficult notice. They've All their prices went steeply up. At the same time, ours did. This is part of the reason why we can point out and say that it wasn't the stimulus programs on their own that caused inflation because everywhere else in the world had it too and they didn't have stimulus programs. They had worse inflation than we did. So that doesn't mean that the stimulus program didn't help with the inflation. It's just a, one of the ingredients, not lots of the ingredients. So Germany's got this issue of that power and energy is expensive, food is expensive, and they're scared. 
Why are they scared? Well, because at the beginning of this, this is the big nasty bear attacking uh, people in Europe, and they've done that before. The last time the big nasty bear attacked people in Europe, they didn't stop till they took half of Germany. So that, that concept still holds weight in the German mind. Prices are up. Who's benefiting from the raised prices of the grain and the energy? And a quick answer to that is the United States. It sounds kind of sophomoric that that we're saying, hey, we're doing great here. But the reality is they've got to buy it from somewhere and we're providing it. We are providing natural gas at a level that we've never tried, uh, supplied before. Crude oil, refined oil products, all those things are at absolute maximum in our history. All of the grains. So let me kind of lay this out. Russia and the United States in 2017 and 2018 were flirting back and forth as being the greatest exporter of petroleum products. That includes talking about Saudi Arabia. Well, Saudi Arabia has increased its supply uh, that it's putting out, but not drastically. The United States has a lot. So we're the number one exporter of petroleum products. We're the number one exporter of almost every grain corn, soy, barley, you just go down the list. Uh, that used to be we were in the top three, the other two being Ukraine and Russia. And in the middle of that, we have a negative that's hitting us. But the negative is a long-term positive, and I know this is going to get some people upset, but I'm going to say it anyway. It doesn't have to do with the political situation. It has to do with labor market. We have a massive influx of immigration happening right now. That is not happening in other places on the planet. They are doing things to prevent it. We're in our herding cats mode and the government can't figure out what it's doing. They're capturing people and then letting them go and then capturing people and then letting them go. And if you look at how that's happened, it's not been that different under Trump than under Biden. And I know that's putting me in a weird place. This is an election year for me to say they're similar, but they really have been similar on the trade war and on immigration. People think, well, Biden is not good on immigration. What is he doing? He's doing exactly what Trump did, which is we don't have enough space to just capture them all. And it's against the law to send people seeking asylum back elsewhere. So he's doing pretty much what Trump did, which is filling up big buildings with immigrants until we can't store anymore and we have to release them all in mass. It's not effective in either administration, but what is the long term? That's a negative. What's the long term of this? This is a form of legal immigration, believe it or not. It's not the way we want it to work, but asylum seeking is legal. Even if they cross the border illegally, there's these weird laws and we got to fix them. They're not right. But the long-term benefit is we have cheap labor entering the country at high rates. They're not as trained as the cheap labor that came from Mexico a decade and a half ago. But they can become trained. They can become trained, and they want to become trained, and they're extremely committed to being successful. They came a long way under great duress to get here. So historically, that means that our labor situation is going to improve, that the places that we're scrambling to fill jobs that we can't get anybody to do, like picking tomatoes, we'll get jobs for that. That means our prices on food will go down. This is 
these are laws of economics. They're not like laws of physics. You can't reverse gravity. Supply and demand is real, though. And when we have a supply of cheap labor that's coming in to fill the place that we have the gap in the labor market, which is cheap labor, we don't have anybody to do that stuff anymore. That's a good thing. The, the Congressional Budget Office, which is as bipartisan as you can get, put out a report this week, and you may be talking about that. A mod, this, the, the immigration that we're having right now, and, and it, is, it is the asylum-based integration that is, that is generating most of this, probably will create an annual GDP per capita of about 1300 per capita by 2050. What does that mean? That's about $7 trillion of additional GDP over the next 10 years because of the people pouring into the United States. Why? Well, because they work. And in most cases, they work and pay taxes. That's happening more often than not. And they buy things, which enables other people to make a profit. And they just do all these things. One of the reasons that Japan's economy is in stall mode and China's economy is in stall mode. And Germany's economy is in stall (laughs) Because they just don't have immigration. They don't have people coming into the country. As a matter of fact, if you want to go down and look at Italy, they're in leave mode and it's hurting them. Um, and as much as I also don't like very frankly, walking into Walmart in the middle of, in, at three o'clock in the morning on a 24 hour Walmart, trying to buy something and finding the announcements are in Spanish and the TV shows are in Spanish and the boxes are turned with the Spanish side towards me. We were talking about earlier about the, the French having uh, the French yeah. language being required in Canada. It effectively seems to be required in the United States. I don't like it, but as far as not being in a recession, as far as being the wealthiest economy on the planet, just as the people poured in from Eastern Europe in the last century, the people pouring in from south of the border, whether we, and, and I believe me, I think it's out of control and we need to, to do something serious. As a matter of fact, the Senate bill was a good step in that right direction. They got killed in the House. We need to do something about controlling it. But immigration is what's going to keep us uh, alive and keep Social Security running and so on. Yeah. Into, into the rest of this century. And all of that stuff's probably not making us any fans either in the Democrat Party or the Republican Party. Because what we just said is we needed to control immigration. The Democrats don't like that. And we said we needed to control immigration. The Republicans don't want immigration. So one side says no control, open the borders. The other side says don't let anybody in. The reality is that we need some, but we need to be able to track the vast, vast majority. And you can look the statistics up on any reliable place, the vast majority of immigration are people that want to contribute to the society that they join, not only contribute, they have a great deal of pride in the new place. Just think of if you've got any immigrants in your family, multi-generations back, how much they love their new country. That is what we should expect out of this way. What is it that's a problem here? We're talking about that. Well, we have no methodology right now to deal with this influx in a way that's documenting, uh, requiring callbacks, watching who's coming in, giving appropriate numbers, giving appropriate visas for asylum seekers. We're just skipping that step. Even though we're supposed to be doing that, we don't have enough people in ICE to get everybody the paperwork that they need to release them into the country because they're coming so fast. That's not a good thing. 
we need to put some money into tracking this and doing it right. And if we don't want this sort of scenario, then we need to change the law so that people seeking asylum can't just ask to come in. And that's one of the weird things is we have a law on the books that was bipartisan that said if Congress votes and says that the country you're coming from is a risk to your very existence, then you can come here and ask for asylum. And when that law was passed, it was like, hey, not very many people do that. There aren't that many very failed nations. It's a long way to get to the United States. And isn't this a nice thing to do? Then on the other side of the books, we say if you come in here without a visa, it's illegal. But as soon as you come in here illegal without a, vi a visa and you request asylum in here from one of those countries, you're suddenly legal. But we now can't get you the papers. So even though you're legal, you're also illegal. This is a problem. <laughs> this is like can you smoke marijuana in Colorado? Well, according to the Coloradians, yes, but according to the federal government, no. But what does that mean? Whose law is right? Are you a horrible lawbreaker if you live in Colorado and occasionally consume something that you consider to be legal there? These gray areas are getting more common, and they're not good for the economy. They're not good for anybody because it leaves a really bad taste in everyone's mouth. Are the people coming into the United States paying taxes? Well, it's going to be really hard to figure that out until they get all their paperwork together. Is it possible that they won't know how to get all their paperwork together? Very. <laughs> as legal as requesting asylum is, if we don't have the infrastructure in place to help organize that, we're just doing ourselves massive disservice, and that's going to cost. It's going to cost the government money to build that infrastructure. I know this is weird. Why are we talking about this in the middle of the recession and the rest of the world? Because this is part of what's keeping us out of recession. Our economy is growing partly because our demographics, are, our population is getting bigger. And some of that is immigration and some of that is our own birth rate. You look at long period, periods of, of significant growth in the history of the United States or for that matter, anywhere else in the world. One of the things that you see that repeats itself over and over again is a migration from low economic producing areas to high economic producing areas of low cost labor. When when in the last in the in the 21st century we have seen some amazing growth in the economy, we've seen very very low in in inflation rates, largely because in China there was a mass migration, a mass move from low cost agricultural labor into the factories. And we are trying to duplicate that here now as we reshore we bring manufacturing we bring things back into the united states which we certainly need to do bring some the critical stuff needs to be in the united states we don't need to be dependent upon china or something that we need to survive because they don't like us very much that's an understanding so the issue the issue is a ai and and robotics will eventually do wonders meanwhile back at the ranch we need people who are willing to work in uncomfortable conditions for relatively low wages and think they think we're doing them a favor by doing that. And we are. To build to, to to build I'll just give one example. One of the principal restrictors on the growth of the United States right now and it is a very serious restriction are our highways. We are having a lot of trouble building highways around the country because we can't find the people to go out in the hot sun in the summertime or in the winter in the snow and whatever needs to be done to work on those highways. We're having a critical 
shortage of housing in the United States. Well, one of the reasons we're having a critical shortage of housing is we can't find enough people who are willing to work outside in the weather building a house. Manual labor, nail driving. I mean, we still don't have a robot that will nail, that will operate a nail gun. We just don't have that or a saw. Yeah, that, there's, it's, there it's, might be some safety issues in there somewhere. I don't, I'm not sure. With the robots, but, you know, with it, robots, with yeah. saws and nail guns and yeah, and that robots, sounds yeah. like a movie in, but, in the but making. Until a decade or more from now, when we are able to perhaps automate that process, we have critical shortages in the United States that are restricting the growth of the United States GDP and our well-being that are largely there because we don't have anybody to do the work. Now, who was doing the work before when we were growing so fast? Very frankly, uh, in the in the 1990s, I'll tell you who was doing the work: illegal immigrants. Uh, we, you could see them everywhere. You could everywhere you looked. If you if you know how to look, you could see illegal immigrants building houses, building roads, working in factories, working in meatpacking plants. And we've and 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 now you're not going to like this, but beginning with the Obama administration, there was a crackdown on employing illegal undocumented people. They went after the business owners. And all of a sudden, it became really, really hard to employ an undocumented person. So where are the people going now and working? Well, if you go, and this is really odd, Chicago and New York are the magnets right now. Chicago and New York have taken the, and San Francisco for that matter, have taken the position that they're not allowing the the, uh, ICE to come in their local police and the sheriffs and so on are not looking for illegal immigrants. Now, they're not, if they arrest them for something else and they're an illegal immigrant, obviously they take action, but they're not looking for them. And as a result, the people who come across the border and get claiming asylum, by the way, when they're claimed asylum, they're given a little identification paper that says, okay, you're in the United States on parole. And they promptly go to Chicago or New York or San Francisco or one of those places where they will not be looked for and go to work which is, I know that sounds unpleasant and sounds terrible. And if you don't believe me, just go to one of those places and look who cleans your hotel room. And there's one other thing I wanted to throw in since we're on immigration. Yeah, go ahead. A very, a very large portion of the people who entered the United States legally and are still here beyond their legal staying time didn't come across the border. Well, they came they across came in, the border, but they flew across the border. They didn't They didn't cross the Rio Grande or the southern border. They flew in on a tourist visa or from a, you get into a country, we have a lot of countries, you don't have to have a visa in the United States. Well, the visa just is just kind here. of a stamp on your passport. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they just stay here and they're still here and we have no way of tracking them. We have no system for tracking them. We have no funding for tracking them. I'm going to tell something else. I spoke to a person from ICE recently. And he said, there's a little humor here. And I said, what's that? He said, we're paid from the agriculture department. And I said, why? And he said, Congress cut our pay off, zeroed out our pay as a political move. And so the agriculture bill that passes each year, there's an agriculture bill that passes each year. It's a must pass bill to support farmers and farmers, in case you didn't know it in the United States, have a vote that is approximately seven times, seven to 10 times more powerful than a vote of a person in a city. Because, for example, Wyoming has one representative because it has such a low population, it only authorized one representative in the House of Representatives, but it has two senators, just like California and Texas. So their votes there are really important, and agricultural areas have a greater political impact. So the agriculture bill that gives money from the federal government to people who farm and ranch has to pass every year. And there was an amendment to it, funding, giving this the payroll for ICE, the people who arrest 
illegal aliens. And also look at the convoluted customs forms to figure out what tariffs to charge. And those are not easy. Not at all. I'm saying we have such a dysfunctional system. uh, And I'll also not make any friends here when I say the Senate passed a bill that made a lot of sense. It would dramatically reduce the number of people coming to the United States. And the Republicans in the House killed it. This is this is the extremism that we're seeing that's stopping everything, is that it's an all or nothing. We want absolutely the most principled approach or none. And that doesn't work in government. In almost any government, you have to compromise with the other party to get it done. And in this case, I'm proudly not a member of the Republican or Democrat party. I can look at both sides. And I know this makes both sides angry, especially in election years. I see good stuff on both sides. Ditto. How is it that that is surprising? How is it that surprising that half of the United States loves its own country and the other half of the United States also loves its own country? I know that's weird because we want to believe that the other side, no matter what it is, is completely anti-everything we agree. But we agree on probably 95% of the stuff. The other stuff is just so loud that we can't see anything else or hear anything. I just mixed the senses, didn't I? It's so loud you can't see. Um, I got that one. Um, and we're, we're, we've been banging on that one. Basically, our dynamic chaos that's happening in the United States, as dysfunctional as this is, and you've heard us say this multiple times in this conversation, it is a boon. It is a benefit long term. It would be a better benefit if we could control it better, but it is a benefit, and it's something that's leading us through that. And the last piece I wanted to throw in here is a step away from immigration, but it has to do with the rest of what's going on. I am hearing on all directions, all sides, I am hearing if the other guy wins the presidency, whichever one is the other guy to the person saying it, then the nation is doomed. And I'm hearing that drumbeat from Republicans about Biden and Democrats about Trump or Haley or fill in the blank if they're imagining someone else coming. And the reality is that historically, the economy does really well after a president is elected. In the year after the president is elected, the economy does really well. Democrat, Republican, it does really well because we're done with all the snot throwing that we do during these campaigns and they get ugly and everybody gets sick of it and they get burnt out and they don't want to work when they're at work. They want to rant about the other party. So that's our site on that. And I know that's weird and it's not going to sell newspaper clicks. It's not going to have people jumping up and down and say, well, you're saying exactly the way I believe, unless you're looking at the politics of the world right now and specifically the politics of the United States and going, man, is this dysfunctional. We've got two people that in my childhood would have been considered extremely elderly, and they are the main candidates for the presidency. And that's just where we are. (laughs) I hate to say this, but they're still considered to be extremely (laughs) elderly. And I am up there, I'm up close to them and I'll be the first to say that I don't want to be president of the United States. I have good days and I have bad days. I have more good days than bad days, but man. Yeah, being the president ages you. uh, It ages you even if you're young and healthy. If you're already 
Ah, man. Anyway, that's that's the end of that. If you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually do give investment advice and management of investment portfolios customized to our client. Uh, and that's what we do for a living. If you would like to talk to us off the air and get some advice, uh, you can call us locally at 254-947-1111. And presuming you have a landline, if you go back in history and stretch into the, the, the background of your youth, you still have a landline. And we have an, a, a toll-free number. Um, and you have to probably have a dial on your phone to turn to get it to use. And it goes... No, 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 no. The toll-free number is 1-800-914-7526, 800-914-PLAN. You can get that on a cell phone, too. Um, Or you can go directly to our website, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can send that to us. It'll go to our whole staff. Or if you want to send it specifically to the two bald guys talking, jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. We actually read those things. And appreciate those of you that sent them in. Uh, we also have podcasts. You found this one, so obviously you know how to find them. They're on our website as well as anywhere you find podcasts. On our website, you can also read our newsletter or sign up for it and listen to a veritable archive, veritably an archive. Uh, and morgue. And morgue. Going back quite a long ways of older radio programs and see what we had to say in times of great duress and See how much we've changed our music and how we tap dance to tell the difference. Um, So thank you very much for listening. And this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.